On this week's episode of the Marketing Chief Podcast, we welcome Paula Shagnon, the general manager of Turner Classic Movies. We'll talk about the upcoming Turner Classic Movies Film Festival, increased distribution on HBO Max, how to market to new audiences, and what it's like to be a female executive at one of the biggest media conglomerates in the world. Stay tuned for this week's edition of the Marketing Chief Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Chief Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Collins. If you'd like to watch this podcast, head over to our website, marketingchiefpodcast.com and click on the episodes tab or search for Marketing Chief Podcast on YouTube. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome a former colleague, someone I respect highly, the general manager of Turner Classic Movies. Welcome, Paula Shagnon to the Marketing Chief Podcast. Hello, Rob Collins. It has been a while. It is so good to see you. Same here. Same here. Definitely uh, some COVID time apart. There's so much to talk about with your career, but let's start with what you're doing now and what your responsibilities as general manager of Turner Classic Movies entails. Sure. Um, so uh, literally two months before lockdown, I was named general manager of TCM. I'd been working there since 2007 and my role kind of grew from brand creative to marketing, to talent, to studio production. And it, it was about a time when my boss was ready to try something new. And she's like, it's only adding a couple departments. You'll hardly notice. <laughs> You'll hardly you know? notice this extra work you're about to have. Yeah, yeah. And then at the same time, of course, lockdown. So it's been a really um, interesting year. And I've learned a lot, I think, about um, aspects of management that I don't think you ever have an opportunity to explore when you're working in the office. It's really, it's, it can be really hard. And so my role is just that generally responsible for the people who run all these different core departments and functions across the network. Um, I'm sure people know TCM is a, a cable network focused on delivering the best classic movie experience. And I think the thing that's really been interesting for us over this past year is that we are at the same time represented in the new streaming service, HBO Max. Right. So we are now starting to explore aspects of how we deliver some of what we do on the network in that space. And um, right now it's a kind of crazy time because we're leading up to a virtual film festival, the TCM Classic Film Festival, that will be held both on the network and at HBO Max. So for us, it's sort of a chance to bring what has been a great tradition of an in real life festival in Hollywood, as you know, right. but uh, without, you know, sort of the risks of, of um, the pandemic, we decided to opt for this virtual one this year. And it's been an amazing learning experience. Again, you have a chance to rethink your brand for this new space. And um, yeah, looking forward to that in the next couple of weeks when you say you have extra responsibilities, let's, let's just be clear and, and quit yeah. being humble. You're yeah. the, you're the head cheese. Yes. You're the, you're the top dog at Turner classic movies. So you yes. have programming and, it's, promotion yeah, it's, it's, and marketing and sure. Anything that it takes to make the network run ultimately leads to me, or there are some shared resources say for research, but by and large, I'm scanning the globe to make sure those parts and pieces are communicating well and hopefully yeah. operating at their fullest and that I'm helping provide or clearing the path for them to do that. And again, the, the emphasis on communication and alignment is so important when you're not together physically. Um, it's so easy to find gaps when 
when you aren't physically located together as a, as a group. Um, on top of that, some of our team work out of Los Angeles. The primary group mm -hmm. is here in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So there are just additional nuances of how we maintain a common heartbeat, even though we're distributed this way and across all these homes right now. Um, but it, but the amazing thing, and I know everyone has said this, is it works. You know, you really can get all those jobs that you felt historically had to be done in a shared workspace. Um, and that is the most impressive thing. And I think for a lot of people, it's going to be a game changer in terms of how we report back, whatever that means. There'll probably be some hybrid opportunities for the team, likely not going to have 100% of the team sitting in the same place at the same time ever again. I think those days are kind of behind us. And I think as you look across the landscape yeah. in the country, and, and I talk to different companies, yeah. people are embracing that. Yeah. They love the flexibility. I was talking to a company um, this week in Seattle, and they are going to one day a week in August in the office. Um, and they said, we don't care if people live at different places around the country, they can spend a week in our office a month, we're good. Wow. And so that think about how that really opens up really the lens for people to have that work life balance. It's no, it's amazing. There's someone um, I was talking to recently on the team whose girlfriend had an opportunity in Charleston. Mm -hmm. And, you know, literally a year plus ago, he would have had to make that decision, stay with the girlfriend mm -hmm. and move to Charleston or leave his job. And because of the way we work now, he was able to keep both. You know, he met, moved to Charleston um, and is still doing the work he was doing for TCM. And I think that's really, you know, so transformational at so many levels. And I think one of the things that we are all talking about is what is what is that new uh, cadence going to look like in terms of how we are back together? Are people who are in the office going to feel somehow estranged from the people who aren't in the office as much? Is there going to be some, you know, uh, different kind of tension that you need to resolve? And I think more than anything, I'm invested in that and making that work. Because I know for so many people, you know, being home has just given them, as you said, a new balance in life. People who worked further away from the office or who had really hard drives now have like two hours more to their life to spend with their family or in their garden or with their dog, whatever. And that's just a gift that you can't, you know, really compensate for in any other way. You really can't. And it's on leaders like you to make that work and to make that dynamic work and to make the exchange and transfer of ideas and creativity yeah. work, which is tough in an entertainment company. One thing that people may or may not know, depending on how familiar they are with the network, is that during the primetime movies, they are introduced. Each of the movies is introduced by a host. Is that happening during pandemic or did that stop? You know, it's such an important part of our relationship with an audience. It really creates some intimacy. We're looking in the eye as we're talking about these films and it was such a priority. And the team that's responsible for those literally were like, okay, what do we do? We can't even get our talent into studios and most of them live in California. Mm -hmm. So we figured out ways or they figured out ways to set up production from home. And it was, it was a nightmare for a period of time for all the individuals because they suddenly had to act as their own producers, setting up in a way, a studio in their home um, and doing their own hair and makeup and wardrobe <laughs> and everything. 
so we were sort of in that mode immediately, didn't miss a night, didn't miss a night. Um, and, you know, to their credit, it meant both on the talent side and on the, the producer side, longer hours because everything ended up taking maybe four times as long to do. It would be like no quality or no control around audio. So, um, you know, fire truck would go by, everything would have to stop down. Things like that, that you just don't need to reckon with when you're in a studio. Well, one of the things that you hit on earlier, and we do want to talk about marketing and how the network connects to its audience. And you said it's so important for the connection that you have with the audience for these specialized introductions for movies. And what many listeners probably don't realize, it is like the news because it airs once and never again. That's right. So you may show the same movie. The movie will be repeated on TCM at some time. You've yeah. played The Sound of Music however many times. Yeah. Or, But talk about yeah. how they're curated and why they're, why they're unique and why they're different and how they can appear in different in different ways. No, you're right. And I think you're right. That's not something you would necessarily appreciate unless you're living with the network day in, day out as a viewer or as a staffer. Mm -hmm. But the way our programming works is it's it, everything is curated. You're right. There's context around everything that they're curating in terms of themes or special star of the month or whatever it is so that that movie might be Casablanca, but maybe one time it's through the lens of understanding sort of wartime movies, let's say. And, but another time it might be through the lens of Humphrey Bogart in the stage of his career or, or, you know, whatever. So it's like this 3D chess approach so that each time you bring it in, it requires a different setting to really create that, that lens around the whole night. Um, and I think the cool thing is, is it gives you another reason to explore material you might've seen before because you're getting a new hook into it. Like, did you realize that this was written before this and after that? It gives you a special insight into this, this filmmaker's career. And it makes it, I, I think, um, you know, really a bespoke experience every night, you know, every night that you're gonna have those hosts speaking to you, you're gonna know it's fresh for you that very day. It's interesting to me, obviously I have some background with the network there was some criticism of TCM recently with all of the division in the country and the fact that TCM was really putting context before mm -hmm. movies that in today's lens may appear to be offensive. The funny thing to me is TCM has always done that. Yes. That wasn't any, that was not anything new or in reaction to any external force. You've always showed films uncut, as they were originally made That's right. and, then, and then added the context in front of it to give viewers of today background and insight into mm -hmm. what was happening at that time. That's right. Yeah. So that, that programming event was called reframed mm -hmm. and it was very much that like uh, back in the summer, we started talking about what we as a network need to be developing as far as positioning to ensure that we are, you know, really um, uh, cognizant of the environment we're in culturally. You know, we don't want to find that people are turning away from classic movies because they assume that's old fashioned, those are dead values, those are out of whack with my beliefs. So one of the things that Charlie Tabish, who's head of programming said, the minute we started talking about this new positioning, he's like, 
I want to do something around those movies people find problematic through today's lens so that we can together develop discourse around it. it wouldn't that be the best is that TCM helps create a, a civil conversation around movies that reveal a lot about our culture historically that, you know, not all of which is pretty for sure, and which may not even have been pretty then, but was acceptable. So I think the really meaty part for us was it, it really connected. Um, we got a lot of engagement around it in social, and that's, you know, one of the easiest ways for us to see what's what's kind of piercing through the bubble of the 350 plus movies we're airing a month. You look at what's tracking in social press, really elevated it even further. And um, sort of beyond our expectations, it hit at the time it hit when there was even more going on um, in our country, you know, specifically. So it's, it is, um, those who don't know TCM think, wow, look at them trying to be cool. And as you say, and this is part of our heritage, you know, for years, again, from a programming standpoint, we've looked at, at different, um, like uh, ableism in film or Latinos in film, Asian images in film. We have consistently, you know, again, brought a lens to these areas of movies that aren't always explored. And it's not the only thing we do, like that very same month, you could just while away the hours enjoying Doris Day movies. You know, as right. as we say, you want to have a balance. You're, there are some things that are literally just lean back, feel good. That is awesome. You know, kind of a great nostalgia vibe. But it's also super cool, again, to lean in and, and, and explore the dynamics of these movies that continue to speak to us. And that's the broad appeal of Turner Classic Movies that you can kick back and not think, yep. or you can be challenged. And because of that, you really have attracted a diverse audience that, again, many listeners may not think is as diverse as it is. Yeah, I think your expectation is that it's your grandma is watching, and, and likely your grandma is, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But I think the thing that we have seen over time, especially as we've developed in real life activations, you know, specifically the film festival, that is this four day classic movie extravaganza in Hollywood, um, held in the movie theaters where these movies would have originally been presented. We see such a diverse uh, spectrum of movie lovers and many more at the younger end that you would expect. And, and, you know, amongst ourselves, we sort of joke it's Comic-Con for classic movie lovers. And it is in that people dress up. They want to kind of uh, evoke elements of the aesthetic of these films or the eras of these films, cocktail culture, the music. Um, and that isn't something we expected necessarily when we started the festival, but it, it started to create a real sense of that community showing up and engaging in the world that matters so much to them. And the neat thing is, you know, people who are maybe at the older end of the demo find something new in common with these younger folks because they love these movies so much together and want to invest four days living in them, you know, spending time with them. It really is a monumental event. And for listeners who haven't had the opportunity, obviously not this year because you're virtual, to immerse yourself in movies and they're not all movies from the 20s and 30s, by the yeah. way. I mean, if you think, you know, movies in the early 80s are now 
40 years old, if you can believe that. But it's always been such a great shared experience. And people that have a passion around movies love experiencing that with other people. And I've been at some of those movies where people clap at the credits because they recognize a director. It's such a fun, emotional, uh, connected experience. I I find the other thing that's really interesting is that there are actors and actresses, yes, from the older movies that are represented and revered and celebrated at the film festival, but there are also younger actors and actresses who have been influenced by those movies who also participate in the TCM Film Festival and in TCM in general. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think... It isn't a surprise that um, TCM is this great reference and source and um, kind of fountain of inspiration for filmmakers from writers to directors to actors because it's, you know, you think about the, the evolution of the medium, there are still so many things that are referencing movies from 70 years ago because they discovered the language, you know, whether it's the filmic language or the performance language that has evolved over time, certainly. But there are certain things where you you just understand why it's an enduring medium. So for example, as we're planning this film festival next month, one of the things that we thought we'd try is going out to highly regarded directors to invite them to introduce one of their films within the HBO Max TCM environment. And we thought we'd have like two or three, you know, who would commit the time to do this with us. We almost had to stop answering the phone because it, I'm not kidding. It was the kind of thing where everyone wants to do that for an audience that is into it. You know, you, you, you're literally preaching to the choir. Um, so we have some remarkable people there. Uh, Barry Levinson, Rob Reiner, um, I'm really excited about Steve McQueen, the director of Widows. He's introducing Hunger. And, you know, I'm seeing these interviews as they're being taped and I'm learning things about movies I feel like I know, you know, so that's really amazing. And we also have Mira Nair and Barbara Koppel, a two-time Academy Award winning documentarian. And for them to sit and tell you things you would never perceive as a, as a viewer, about why this particular thing was so important to them or why they were inspired or why this was hard, this particular scene is just thrilling. I mean, it is so thrilling. So to your, to your you know, earlier question, filmmakers really um, appreciate who they're talking to in this space. And it isn't about the kind of typical junket press, you know, I mean, it's the opposite of that. They're able to talk about influences. They're able to talk about movies that they saw as kids. Um, it's a much broader kind of arena for them to explore and enjoy. And, and we're happy to host it. You know, it really is a, an incredible um, kind of space to be in. So talk about the film festival this year and, and how can people watch and participate and, and does it cost and how do they access I'm so glad you celebrating. Asked. Yeah. So if you're a cable subscriber, it's free. You know, you just turn into TCM starting Thursday night, May 6th. Um, Our opening night event, which will live on the network and on HBO Max, is a cast reunion for West Side Story and a screening of the movie. 
And it's like they flash back, you know, is it 50 years to the time making the movie, what their relationships were like, how they have remained close because it was such a formative experience. And the, the taping of the interview was like, two hours or something because they just couldn't stop talking and we're all watching it from our respective homes we're like this is amazing but we had to edit it down because they were just going on and on it was yeah. it was really joyful so that starts may 6th and as i said available on tcm with your cable subscription and then if you have hbo max or if you have hbo or if you know any of the hbo flavors you have access to hbo max so we have sort of a step-by-step um, instruction for those who haven't activated their HBO Max um, subscription yet on our site, tcm.com festival. And it's really easy to do. And I just think not everyone might've gotten around to it yet, but hopefully this is good incentive to check it out. And again, different complimentary programming on TCM, the network and on the TCM hub within HBO Max. So there's uh, like total, I think it's like 100 plus titles programmed across the service and the network, plus all this exclusive content that's been produced, plus, you know, the interviews, some of which we haven't announced yet, which are really exciting. Um, and I couldn't be more proud of what we have to offer. It's, it's bananas. And just like at the In Real Life Festival, you're going to have to make some choices you know, at any given day, like, oh, do I want to watch this thing here? Or do I want to go over to HBO Max, you know, where I get to pick from these things. And um, I think that's a good problem to have in this case, because you can't go wrong. There are so many great choices. And are, are there live pieces as well to it? E either maybe online live pieces or anything to Thank bring you. the community Such together? Good, such a good prompt. I, I didn't even know. I'm, no, I'm you're curious. so right. One of the things that's really special about the festival experience is those live conversations. So we wanted to figure out how to replicate that and create that sense of community too, which is hard to do virtually. So we're gonna have a series of Zoom events, one a day, different topics, talking to the hosts, talking to um, TCM, you know, kind of executives, talking to uh, a really cool idea they have on Mother's Day, because that's the last day of the festival, talking to children, of famous movie moms. So that'll be a lot of fun too. So each day it's a little bit different, but the hope is you get a sense of what those kind of Q and A's are like and get to see people in real time um, because we all miss that. We all miss that so much. We really do. We yeah. really do. From, from a marketing standpoint, is it hard to reach new audiences for TCM? Is it hard to make them aware of things like the film festival? How do you, how do you engage in this really transitional world of media yeah. and media consumption? Yeah, I think TCM isn't alone in these challenges. Definitely the larger cable environment is going through this sort of transformational stage of life where behavior is changing in terms of how you consume media. We, many of us enjoy cable and streaming experiences, but you know, generationally we know at the younger end of a demo, those folks are less likely to be ever opting into cable. And what do we do with that? You know, I mean, that's not tomorrow, it's not the next day, but it's something we wanna grow into. So um, for us, it again, it's about keeping the TCM brand 
relevant so that as we make this transformation over time and hopefully a lot of time to being more available for people within HBO Max, um, it'll make sense, right? There'll be this continuity of experience and we will have established ourselves. I mean, again, this is going to be a long period of time and, and we highly suspect that, especially because folks who tend to stay in cable are more aligned with our demo naturally. You know, they are at the at the more experienced end of the demo and they enjoy the, the, the facility of cable. You turn it on, there it is. They don't want to hunt. They don't want to look. They don't want the work of streaming. Right. Um, but it's fun. And I think one of the things that has been really cool about some of the organizational changes in our company is that all the brands, you know, we've got Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, TCM, these really strong brands that are all looking to supercharge HBO Max because those brands are represented there as well. How do we take the best of what we've learned about creating a brand experience on a network and transpose it and translate it into what works for streaming. It'll it'll feel different because it is a different experience. We're not feeding you something. You get to experience what you want as you want, but we still want to make sure it smells and tastes enough like the brand that you're like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, this is TCM. And that's really cool for all of us. Anyone who has been working with a brand and you have an opportunity to adapt and evolve it, that's really exciting. Um, so, so yeah, just from a straight marketing standpoint, it's a big challenge holistically, but I'm, I'm really excited about, um, the way we're approaching it, the strategies collectively that we have around finding that new frontier in HBO max. And it's not commoditized, right? We really treat each movie with the respect it's due. And one of the keys is you're not just treating the movies with respect, you're treating the audience with respect. And yeah. Because you're commercial free, because you are able to do longer interstitial programming mm -hmm. between the movies, because you introduce it, it just it just gives that connection to the audience. So go back to the the right. earlier earlier part of your career and how you how you started. Did you always know you wanted to be in television? Um, my experience growing up was that there was likely no profession for me. <laughs> Um, coming out of school, coming out of college, I had studied psychology and political science just because I loved them both. But I did discover film classes when I was an undergrad. And to me, it was like, well, I love movies. Who doesn't love movies? I'll take this class. And literally like two classes in, I was like, oh, you can study movies the way you study fine art or any other, right? Any other kind of critical theory approach to to art. And I loved that. I thought it was so engaging and just a meatier way to enjoy movies for me. So I took a lot of those classes, but it wasn't a career option and thought I wanted to be a, a reporter. I thought I wanted to be a journalist, tried that for a couple of years and, and I did not want to, <laughs> but I kind of came back to the core of me. I've always written, I've always been a writer so I sort of did this, well, I like writing and I love those movie classes and maybe hmm. I'll go to film school, right? And so that sort of put me on this trajectory at some level, at least it changed my category and moved to LA after um, film school and sort of weirdly, like my first jobs were marketing and copywriting for a home video company when that was like a big thing. And it was a ton of, 
ton of fast turns, creative work, thinking through how you present an angle on a movie. What is our pitch? What's the cell? What imagery do we use? I learned a lot about um, even layout and like basic art functions for the design team showing me because we were a small little team and I loved all, all of that and right. really interested in that. Ended up over time moving more into animation, which is an, ama an amazing animation production company as a creative producer. And that's the job that took me to Cartoon Network, which brought me to Atlanta, which is where I grew up, Thought I would never come back to Atlanta to this, you know, two bit town. <laughs> and it was exactly at the time in my life when that's what I wanted after living in all these big cities. I really wanted to be closer to my folks, kind of establish some pace of life that was more normal. And I thought, well, this will be a neat job. This was starting the digital team at Cartoon Network. It'll be a neat job for a couple of years. I'll have seen my parents a lot and then I'll go do something that's really more career oriented. And then, you know, here I am 22 later, 22 years later, still with the company. And, you know, I think one of the things I will say is I have not, I definitely not had a very narrow path, you know, so it's, it's production, it's digital, it's branding, it's per, um, sort of like oh, what we used to call um, program production. So all these different aspects of creative and marketing and communicating a brand, but I never thought of myself as a marketer at all. Cause I, I don't know, I didn't have that background. I didn't have the formal education in marketing. And so when down the road, years later, our boss said, Hey, I think you, you might want to take this on. I think it'd be good for you. I think it's a natural next step. And I'm like, okay, but I don't know that stuff, you know? And, and so, you know, I'm not saying that that's the way to do it. And I'm not saying I was the best marketer, but I certainly understand, understand the communication piece and how you establish sort of a brand's container. Your creative and artistic background right. really helped you, I think, inherently know things that schooled marketers sometimes miss, which is the connection to the audience. Yes. And when you were at Cartoon Network, which was really in its infancy at that time and was really growing and, and you guys were doing some amazing things, connecting with the audience and finding your brand voice and your brand positioning and your brand creative look, that's right down your alley. That's exactly, and, and there's a lot of people who, from a marketing side, have the book knowledge, but don't have the creative, yeah. the voice, the, the feel. Well, I think that's right. one thing I obviously have learned over time too, is there's, marketing is such an expansive discipline. Mm -hmm. and, and even more over time, you know, as we start to look at marketing, leaning more into data analytics, and it is a very diverse space to be in. And I know my space in it. Um, you are the head of a major cable network at one of the top three media conglomerates in the world. As a woman moving through those ranks, what advice would you give to, uh, to other women that are coming up through a, a, a career with challenges? No, it's a rich conversation. And I do think that um, our organization within Warner Media is, has a really nice and equitable distribution of women, not as much at the very senior level, which is changing, but I think that is something that has been um, a real positive aspect of the company. I think the area that we really need to focus on 
is better representation across those more senior positions for people of color, diversity of all kinds. That is a place where we're lacking. And it's a big focus for us within Warner Media. We, we've spent a lot of time at the executive level looking at it. And, and I know it's so important, especially, you know, as we think about how TCM is trying to appeal to audiences that don't necessarily see themselves in these movies, right? With with some limitations, like maybe it's the maids, the butlers, the whatever for people of color, that's difficult. So we wanna make sure that we have um, developed sensitivities and, and really comfort in understanding how to talk about that. And the best way to do that is by making sure your staff, people behind the camera and in front of the camera understand what that conversation is, how to have it, feel confident in talking about this and acknowledging um, the disparities. But but for me, it is it is interesting. I think because when I first started at Cartoon Network, the president was a woman, president of, of Cartoon Network was a woman. So right away I knew it was possible that a woman could run a network. I think she was the only one at the time in the company. Um, so at least that was a, a glimpse of what could happen. And then of course I succeeded a woman. So she already broke that kind of ceiling, I guess, for TCM. But now you are, you are that inspiration for others. I hope so. Yeah, you absolutely are. There's no, no question. Thank you. Uh, we're coming to the end of our time. I did want to ask you a few quick questions. Sure. What movie would you recommend for people that maybe aren't uh, classic film buffs? That's uh, a good maybe, question. Maybe an entry entry kind of movie. I'm just thinking about in the film festival experience. Oh, great. Have, maybe you can point us to one of those. Yeah, we have such a diverse slate and we have something that is one of my favorite movies that is more recent. And it was like, gosh, 2000. I can't even remember. It's a 2000 and something, though, which makes for a re really recent movie. Uh, Once. Did you ever see that? It's like a it's like a. Everyday musical where people sing, but for purpose, they don't break into singing. Glenn Hansard, Margate uh, Hariska, I think is how we say her last name. Uh, nope, Margate Iglova. How, how could I possibly get that wrong? <laughs> it is a beautiful, simple movie about the creative process. Also about these people who find so much in common, even though they're worlds apart through that creative process. And then the music in it is, is amazing. So to me, it's also just where, what movies are going to be seen as classics in the decades to come? That's one of them. I'd also once. say, yes, once. Um, I'd also say, if you haven't seen Maltese Falcon yet, it is absolutely worth your time. And it moves fast. And it's like the first of those kind of private eye movies featuring Humphrey Bogart, of course. And um the dialogue is some of the sharpest and sparkiest you'll ever see. And it's funny. It's not, it's it's funny in a today way that you're surprised by and the pacing's remarkable. So I'd recommend that too. So something old, something new. Love it. What about um, a moment at TCM or, or otherwise where you've had a really memorable encounter with an actor and actress that mm. that touched you in some way? Um, by virtue of working for TCM for 20, whatever, how many years is that? Um, I've had so many experiences meeting people that I have adored from afar for years and years and years. And there's something just trans 
supportive about that, right? And you want to tell them everything they've meant to you. And that's dorky. So you kind of have to be, on the one hand, really cool and gracious. And at the other hand, tell them, I am your biggest fan. And one of those experiences, and it was like maybe the second month of my my life at TCM was meeting Rita Moreno. Okay. Um, because when I was a kid, West Side Story was strangely um, an obsession for me. And we had the cast album. And I tried to learn all the music on the piano and I tried to sing it. And I thought I, I thought I would be Anita one day. That was like so clearly my destiny. So to meet her was just beyond. And she was and is the most vivacious person, so generous with her time and her stories and just has this spark that helps you understand why some people just translate differently on screen. They just have something in them that is beyond good lighting or good dialogue or direction. They just have it. And that's Rita Moreno. They just exude some, yeah. some magic, right? Totally. That, that's a great transition to remind our, our listeners about the TCM Film Festival. Give me the dates again. Yes, starting May 6th through 9th. Through, through the 9th on TCM or HBO Max. And the TCM Hub in HBO Max. Perfect. And I encourage you to check it out. Um, I think you'll have a blast. Well, I'm a big fan of TCM. I'm a bigger fan of Polo. So Yay. thank you so much for joining us today on the Marketing Chief Podcast. And we need to do this again. We've got much more to talk about. I know. We have some catching up to do. We sure do. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate thank you. it. If you like what you hear on the Marketing Chief Podcast, be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app or YouTube and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time on the Marketing Chief Podcast. <laughs>